Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard. We saw Jesus with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. It's a joy today to introduce our guest preacher. And I'm going to introduce him and embarrass him just a little bit. And then Wes is going to come and pray for him. But uh, it's, it's an honor to introduce John Curgis. And you all know John is a member of our congregation. He serves in many ways. Uh, but one of the way that we have the guys in the back that are cheering, saying, you know, he's one of us. Uh, he's one of us. But he, he does such great uh, audio technician work back there for us and other places in the community. But uh, John is one of those people, you know, we always say, when we talk about sermons, that in order to be a good sermon, it truly has to come from a good source. It has to be like water from a good well. Uh, as Jesus said, you know, a, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And so that's the most important thing with any sermon is that the source is good. And in this case, it's it's fun to be able to celebrate John and his character, just the person that he is. He's a young man uh, full of faith who, who's a brilliant engineer. But he works in the in the marketplace. He works in the world, and he's he's doing just like all of us. He's working out what it means to be a disciple in this world. And so, uh, when we were looking at this series on discipleship, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Right here in Sweetwater uh, in 2023, uh, John was one of the people that I thought of, and specifically, I thought of this talk that he had given on a men's retreat, and I thought it would work really well as a sermon about discipleships on practical steps and things that we can do. And so I, I asked him and persuaded him and begged him and bribed him and did all kinds of things in order to get him to consider this. And I'm happy to report that he accepted the invitation. And so uh, that's who you'll be hearing from in a moment. So help me welcome John Curtis. Well, now, Wes, praying for you. I'll get you all turned on here. Are you good? Okay. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today to worship you. God, we uh, thank you so much for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, both those that we're aware of and those that we don't even recognize. God, we continue to uh, ask you for rain. 
to fill our lakes and green our yards and just lift up our overall um, feelings about the world. God, we uh, continue to ask that you be with us um, in this current world of divisiveness, whether it be in our church or in our politics. Lord, uh, help us to uh, remember that isolation should be a last resort and not a first option. God, we uh, continue to lift up our youth, both in this community, in the country and worldwide, that they make good decisions as they are our future leaders. Finally, God, I, I want to lift up my good friend, John Ryan. I know we're in for a treat today. Um, Lord, he is a, uh, he's a blessing. And I just ask that you comfort his heart, give him a calmness to know that he's among friends here today. And that you speak to us through him. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Ryan. I always appreciate the opportunity to come up here and tell embarrassing stories about myself in front of everyone. Here's one. A few years ago, I got a phone call and a girl on the other end of the line said, I am breaking up with you. Now, this is not my first rodeo. I know that that is surprising for you to hear that I've been dumped before, but this time was different. This time I actually took it really well for one particular reason. I didn't even know we were dating. <laughs> I am aware that most breakups are a surprise for at least one of the parties involved, but this one takes the cake. I did not wake up that morning full of opportunity and optimism thinking this was on the table. We'd gone on a couple dates, we talked a little bit, but we lived in different cities, we didn't see each other that often, we weren't putting in the effort that it takes to make a solid relationship. We were not on the same page about what we were, very clearly. Life before and after this event was largely the same. Being in a relationship should be clear because it should cost something of you. Relationships have, have requirements. They take time and commitment and work. This is true for all of our relationships. This is true for our spouses, our parents, our friends, girls we're actually dating. And of course, this is true for our relationship with God. How often do we put that work in? How often do we take our relationship with God for granted? Because the great forgiver, the great redeemer is always there and always will be, so we can let a couple things slide. That's called the trap of complacency. It makes our relationship seem distant, static, cold. Relationships are often like a river. When we stop swimming, we start moving backwards. On the other side, how often do we give God our undivided attention, complete focus and dedication for two hours, and then we say, I'll see you next Sunday? That's the trap of compartmentalization. We tend to put our lives into categories we have the God box, and we put God things in the God box. And we have the work box and the, the football box. We have different categories that don't talk to each other. Or if you love lists as much as I do, it's a checklist, right? I go down it, I do my church stuff, and then I move on to the next thing, whether that's getting ready for lunch 
or meeting with people or football. That's a bad example. I pray a lot during football. Um, a relationship with our Father should be stable. A stable relationship is supported when outside forces act on it. A stable life should have God present in all parts of it. We should not separate God from the other parts of our life. God is in all things. He made all things. This, the Venn diagram of God and the world is a circle. Your relationship with the Father should be evident in all the things that you do. More so, it should define the things that you do. I think the best I ever heard it put was at a walk a couple years ago. Doug Crum told us, you don't go to Walmart to buy groceries. You go to worship God. But while you're there, you should buy some groceries. <laughs> our perspective matters. What we build our lives on matters. We see this with Jesus, right? His relationship was not broken up into times he was with God and times he was with his disciples. His relationship with the Father wasn't the most important aspect of his time here. It was the source of everything. It was the defining attribute of his time here. It was the reason for it. John 7, 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Now, this all-encompassing aspect of piety doesn't just extend to how you spend your time. It's also part of how you react to this world. We have highs and lows. Jesus did too, but we're not alone in them. God is here, and he sent the Holy Spirit to help us. A stable life is supported when outside forces act on it. Now, when I was in school, there was this coffee shop, and it kind of became like the hot spot for all the Christian groups to go. You know, they had Bible studies, there's small groups and all that there. One of the modern coffee shops, they have couches all over and stuff, but they had two chairs in the corner by themselves, away from everything else, just two chairs facing each other. And we used to call those the DTR chairs, the define the relationship chairs. And if you were a young couple that needed to ask that age-old question of what are we, that's where you would go. You'd get to have, be away from everyone while they watched you ask your person, what does this look like? What are we to each other now? It's a question we have to ask ourselves about all important relationships, including our relationship with our father. So let's ask that. What does it look like? What are some characteristics of a high-priority relationship with God? First and foremost, let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Attention. It should make lots of sense that you pay attention to the people that you care about. When you're in a relationship with someone, you notice things about them. You have date nights. You remember their allergies. You like all of their Instagram posts. All the basic things, right? They deserve your time and your focus. God gives attention to us. He knows all the hairs on our head. Jesus took lots of breaks from preaching and discipling and miracling to pray alone. Luke 5, 15 and 16, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He needed dedicated time with the Father. Next is time, and I mean it differently now. Um, relationships build over time. It takes time to develop roots and move in the direction of growth. No relationship is mature immediately. Honesty. Relationships are built on our real selves, good things and bad. Relationships built on anything else are unstable and will not last. When we talk to God, we have to tell him our truths, knowing that he knows them already, because sometimes that's admitting those truths to ourselves but it's a two-way street. 
We have to hear his truth as well, even when we don't want to. Remember, Jonah did not like Assyrians. So when God asked him to preach to the people of Nineveh, he didn't want to see them saved. So instead, he spent a much less comfortable trip to get there, contemplating his choices for three days in a fish. Commitment. Shotgun prayers are great, right? You're out and about, you fire up a quick prayer to God, you know, help me make this green light, make this lane go faster. Lots of prayers about speed, I feel like. But quick prayers and mealtime thanks do not build a solid foundation. Those are not great avenues for being truthful or attentive with God. Dedicate time and real prayer and meditation. Give God time and attention and honesty and keep at it even when it costs something of you because you're building something important. Building on these, sharing. Share of yourself, your time, your fears, your hopes, your other relationships. Doing this with God will not only build up a more stable spiritual life, it will enhance your relationships with other people as well. What's one of the first big milestones in dating? Meeting the family, right? You are committed enough to this other person that other people that matter to you need to be aware of this relationship and how it affects everyone. Share, share the relationship with the other parts of your life and be shared in the other parts of theirs. Growth happens when we are invested in each other. Speaking of growth, knowing what a relationship looks like, how do we build on it? How do we enhance the relationship? First and foremost, communication, right? Talking is the easiest way to understand another person. With God, that's called prayer. This is a point I struggle with in particular. I'm, a, I'm an active person. I like to do things, and prayer feels like a stall game, right? I love, I mentioned it before, I love my to-do lists. I have lists for all kinds of things. It's not a problem. It's totally normal. I will sometimes do a thing that's not on my list, and I'll put it on my list so I can cross it off. There's a couple reasons. First of all, it feels so good. Like, I am a paragon of accomplishment, right? Look at all the things I've done. And now, I have evidence of it. I have proof of my progress at things. That's how good I am at things. And prayer doesn't make me feel like I'm getting it done, which, in reality, is an absurd thing to think, because they're not related to each other at all. Prayer is not mutually exclusive with to-do lists. That's weird to think. Prayer should be a part of my accomplishing things on my list. God should be there with me while I do things. I'm pretty sure he cares about all the stuff I'm doing. John Wesley used to say, I sometimes find I have so much to do, I must spend several hours in prayer before I am able to do it. Scripture. God gave us a handbook for how to live on this earth. He wants us to read it. There are stories, advice, there are situations we face on a daily basis, all spelled out in the good book. He tells us how to deal with our finances, how to mentor people, lots of intricacies about ark building. Jesus even sits down all of his disciples at one point and says, do as I do, this is how we pray. On the other side of that, we tend to look at the Bible as a story about us. We see our reflections in it. We identify with the prodigal son. We want to be more like King David. We can be such a doubting Thomas. And that's all good. It's good to see our foil, but it's an incomplete picture. The Bible is for us, but it is not about us. It is the story of God. This is his half of the relationship. This is his side of communication, his side of honesty. This is how he talks to us. This is how he shows us who he is over and over again. It's a book of the character of the Lord, 
And he gave it to us because he wants us to know him. Meditation. Reading the Bible by itself doesn't go very far if we can't apply it to our lives. It's important to take time from the things that distract us to focus on the things that matter. This can be in the form of quiet time, dwelling on scripture, moments of worship, anything that helps us recenter our focus on God and find him in our everyday. Worship. To anyone that doesn't like worship, I do have some bad news about heaven. Take time to praise God. Focus on him and what he has done. Sing a song, maybe alone for some of us. Confess sins, receive grace, hear truth, remember what we are. Communion. When we take part in communion, we are joining in the holy body. We are reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus and renew with him our bond in the resurrection. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sins. For it is by grace you have been saved. Remember that Christianity is not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. Anyone here that has worn an ugly shirt or shaved our goatee because a girl told us we looked hot understands that relationships change us. When you have a relationship with God, as with all things, it should be evident. Married men wear a ring. Christians should be just as identified. There should be signs to answer the question, what are we? First is desire. When we care about other people, we want them to do well. We want them to be happy. When we're in a relationship with God, we want to do the things we've talked about. We want to learn about his other children. We want to hear his word. We want to pray. We want to have him in our lives. We want what he wants. Action. We are the hands and feet of the Lord. We want to do things and there are things to be done. God gave us a wide open earth and told us to make it better. He has given us the ability to shape our world and the lives of the people in it. We have the opportunity, the obligation to serve God and his children here. So this one time, a few years back, I'm not going to name names. My aunt saw this little old man walking down the street in a very cold, windy winter day because it was West Texas. So she pulled over to offer him a ride. And I don't know if she just didn't see him well or he had a big jacket. I'm not sure. But when he got in the car, she realized it was not the little old man walking down the road. She thought it was. It was a young, hulking, just full dude who immediately asked to go to a liquor store in a sketchy part of town. So she fired off a couple of those shotgun prayers and did what any one of us would have done in that situation. She kidnapped him. She thought, you know who's good at dealing with this? It's my husband. So she took this young man and went the opposite way of what he asked and took him home, made him sit in the car while she went and got her husband to deal with it. It turns out he was a very nice young man and he ran a lawn care service from behind the, that liquor store and he was very appreciative of the warm ride on a cold day. In the end, God was able to do something nice for someone even though it was terrifying for literally everyone involved. Sometimes we're asked to go to uncomfortable places on behalf of God. Sometimes we find ourselves there of our own accord. But God can do good things through us in those times. He doesn't make mistakes. Remember that a ship in the harbor is safe. 
but that's not what ships are for. Direction. When we make God a part of our lives, when we align our morals with his, we can see where we need to go. With purpose comes direction. We get his guidance through church, Bible studies, family. When we know what we're supposed to be doing here, we can see how we fit into the plan. Naturalness. Remember that God made the earth for us. We are meant to be a part of this world. We are meant to engage with people and places here. We are supposed to go out there and share his love. I mean, that's, that's the great commission. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. God made us to be his ambassadors here. It's what we are. Along with that commission comes a little bit of courage. If we want to build God's kingdom, we have to be uncomfortable sometimes and dangerous others, like kidnapping people on the side of the road. Nehemiah knew that the rebuilt city of Jerusalem would never last without a wall. So he asked his boss, the king of Persia, if he could leave to go to Judah and help rebuild it. Now, Nehemiah was an important person. He's the royal cupbearer, right? He's the greatest of the slaves. So he's got a little sway in the court, but he is punching above his weight class with this ask. He is in charge of protecting the king and asking to leave to go to another country for an extended period of time, and the right lights could be construed as treason. But he asked anyway, and the king agreed. So he doubled down and asked for a bunch of money too, and the king agreed. He gave him provisions for the trip, allowed him to harvest timber from the royal forest to rebuild the wall, and eventually made him governor of Judah. God helps those who are with him. Inspiration there, Michael Scott. Everyone needs to hear more of him. Lastly, joy. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. We believe in a God that has already redeemed us. We believe in a beautiful eternity. In the light of these assurances flows joy. A married man is known by his ring, but a Christian by their joy. An excellent example of all of this, I think, is the Apostle Paul. Towards the end of his ministry, he spent several years either in prison or under house arrest for preaching the gospel. But he absolutely knew what he was. He was a follower of Christ. During his time incarcerated, he converted guards. He wrote letters to the churches. He prayed ceaselessly. His courage and faith are on display in Acts 20, 22, and 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. Paul's relationship with God was stable. It withstood an onslaught of outside forces. When Paul looked at the world, he saw something bigger than where he was. He could see God's kingdom in this land, in this people. Our perspective matters. What we build our lives on matters. As ridiculous as this question is, if I were to call God up and give him the old, it's not you, it's me, 
If I told God I am breaking up with you, would he know that we had been in a relationship? Or would life before and after be largely the same? When we align our hearts with God, when we remember that we are not the main character, He is. When we live for Him and with Him in all parts of our lives, then we can begin to define the relationship. Then we can answer the question, what are we?